Everyone still looks uncomfortable. Perhaps they all remember that old saying, power corrupts. Second Officer Slog, episode 34. I'm your host, M, and with me is my number one, Jackson. Welcome to Star Trek. It's Star Trek time. It's Star Trek time. We're on the cusp of new Star Trek. In fact, there's new Star Trek that's out that we haven't even covered We haven't yet. watched it. Yeah. Um, so if you don't know, there are four short films that are going up in the lead up to season two of Discovery, which is launching in January, for the record. Yes. Um, and the first one's out. We're probably going to watch those two and two and do episodes about, you know, them in pairs. So since the second one's not out yet, we haven't done it yet. But we will. We're going to cover those. Um, do they ever figure out how they're going to release those outside of America and Canada? Uh, that's up in the air. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I figured it out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you want to watch those and you don't live in America, or if you don't want to pay for CBS ILX, access, you, you know how to figure it out. Yep. They are, they're around on the internet. You can find them. Yeah, I don't. Th- um, I don't think they're on Netflix. They should just be on Netflix. They aren't. They they weren't announced as being on Netflix last night. Then what's the fucking point? Because Netflix has exclusive rights on them. Yeah, I know. Um, Dumb. It's a mess. Uh, but we'll be covering those. Uh, season two has a new trailer. Very excited for this trailer. They redesigned the Klingons, and by that I mean they slapped wigs on them. They were like, "Look, it's fine. We'd look. They've got hair. It's fine." And everyone was like, "Oh, I guess it is fine. You put hair in them. That's understandable." Yeah, they just look like Klingons now, really. Yep. Uh, very excited. That trailer's good. Uh, Christopher Pike and his cop bus reads exactly as much like a cop bus as it should. Oh, that's such a bus of cops. They're idiots. Yes. We're not gonna... I can't believe I can't believe they are. They made a different Christopher Pike, and it's more of a cop than Bruce Greenwood was. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Bruce Greenwood is perfect casting for cop Christopher Pike, and they think he's meant to be like the noble, like dad figure in those movies. Yes. <laughs> we still haven't done our promise into darkness episode. It's gonna take us a whole year to work up to that. Yeah, we got a lot going on. We got real busy. That's true. We got a lot of band aids to rip off. Yeah. We got one really. Okay, look. Uh, how's it going? Good. Star Trek. Star Trek. How much rambling yep. do we want to do before we get into the episode? So we just want to... I mean, did you want to talk about the trailer at all? Like, I thought we said we were going we'll to do that in, um, in the Discovery episode, like with the short. Yeah, okay, if you really want to. I had sure. fun. We can, I mean, now we're talking about podcasting, <laughs> which is our favorite thing to do. Okay, let's just get into these episodes then. Let's just skip ahead then, and uh, this will all stay in because I'm not cutting it out. Okay, so. fair enough. There we go. Hit the music. I uh, know today this Shit. episode we are talking about the TNG episodes Birthright Part One and Part Two. They are in season six. They're somewhere in the middle. You look it up. We are also reading the Left Hand of Destiny book two by J.G. Hirschler and Jeffrey Lang. There's a sequel to the book we did last month. Obviously, listen to that episode if you're going to listen to this one, um, because we're going to pick right up where we left off. Uh, next month, if you are not interested in DS9 and Klingon, or, or I guess if you're not interested in DS9, why are you listening to this podcast? That's all we've really been doing. If you're not interested in Klingon shit, be back next week or next month as we do 
episodes about DS9 proper, we are going to be watching Rapture, which is season five, episode 10, and The Reckoning, which is season six, episode 21. And then we are finishing this arc of DS9 relaunch books as we finally catch up where all these plot lines converge and read Unity by S.D. Perry. We started this journey two years ago. Yeah. Two full years. And then the podcast came out a bit later, but we definitely recorded um, the first episode of this podcast pre-election. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, we sure did. <laughs> sure did. It did not come out until January, I think. I think that's how it went, but we definitely recorded it yeah. early. So yeah, about two years, finally going to figure out where all these plot lines are going. Um, yeah. And presumably they will end on cliffhangers to set up future books, because these books never end. Yeah, but we're going to take a break and go into TNG after that, oh, so I'm it's very a, excited. It is a time to. Yeah, it will be a time to. <laughs> yes. A time to podcast, <laughs> a time to read. <laughs> oh, God. I'm... I can't lie. I'm so excited for TNG books. Yeah, me too. I bet I will like them a lot less, but I'm really excited for them. Yeah. Right now, it's all a possibility. Anything could happen. Yeah. Yeah, everything could happen. Well, that's enough of that. Let's talk about this, these episodes. Birthright Part 1. This is TNG Season 6, Episode 16. It aired the 22nd of February, 1993. Written by Brandon Braga. Directed by Winrick Colby. This uh, takes place in 2369. Jackson, tell me about the Enterprise at DS9. Yes, this episode begins uh, with the episode... Uh, with the episode? With the Enterprise landing at DS9 and a completely unrelated scene to do with anything in the episode just to give uh, Picard and Crush something to do. Just walking together down the DS9 promenade. Uh, Crush is going to go to the Hollow Suite. It's going to be fun. Anyway, the main plots of the episode uh, are twofold. First of all, uh, the Enterprise is docked with DS9, so Bashir has immediately snuck on board uh, and tried to use their superior equipment to like work out what's going on with this uh, device that he has that he wants to figure out what's up with it. Data comes in and is like, excuse me, you can't just use our stuff. Uh, and Bashir in- is immediately like putting the charm on and trying to interview Data about all his stuff, like how he has hair and everything. And Data's like, that's fine, and I guess you're not doing anything shady, but you really can't do this. Uh, also, you're doing it wrong anyway. Let's just take this to the uh, take this to engineering. We'll analyze it. We'll see what's going on. Uh, Bashir continues to like ask Data a bunch of questions about how he has hair, how he breathes and has like blood flowing through him, how like. They all have functions uh, in terms of, like, the breathing is to regulate temperature, but they also mimic, like, uh, the appearance of humanity stuff, and he finds that really fascinating. Data's like, everyone else asks me about my extraordinary abilities. Um, this goes on for a little bit uh, until the experiment begins, and as this the power flows through this unlike unknown device, uh, a plasma surge occurs, hits Data square in his chest, and, like, overloads uh, his... Um, 
like neural net and he goes he just shuts off he shuts off and falls to the floor while he is on the floor uh he sees a vision of the enterprise empty as he walks through the corridors and then as he like turns into this open area uh dr Singh is there you know data's dad technically um banging a hammer uh on like an on like a weird I don't, I don't know what to call that. Just like, on an anvil. On, on, on an anvil. I was, like, I was like, which part's the anvil? Is what that was. <laughs> I was about to say anvil. was like, wait, isn't the... Revealed that I know nothing. <laughs> Funny for everyone here, but anyway, that's what was going through my mind. Um, so he's watching uh, a scene with a hammer and anvil. Uh, very confused. Um, then he wakes up because he's been turned back on. And it's like, I didn't understand the vision. Uh, what, what, what could that have mean? I have a memory file for this time that I was supposedly shut off. Um, and so he spends the bulk of the episode trying to figure out what's going on with that. Uh, he reads up like the meaning of visions in other cultures and tries to figure out what everything represents. And Picard's like, that's not how culture works. It's not going to represent something. You're not dreaming of the Klingon representation of anything. You have to look at what this means for yourself. So he starts painting uh, and trying to interpret these images best that he can. Starts out by just painting the images directly, but then his brain decides to like paint things that weren't even in the image, and he doesn't understand why. So they decide to repeat the experiment. He overloads. Um, like they like plasma burst him again. He overloads. Uh, he goes to sleep essentially and realizes he is dreaming. As the dream continues, uh, things that he drew, like birds and smoke that weren't in the original vision, are still there. Uh, and he tries to figure out what it means and is asking Sung what it, like, what could this mean? Sung's <laughs> like, where are you? And um, a data replies, I'm on the Enterprise. My cat is present. <laughs> Which is an incredible line. Uh, then he, like, turns into the bird and flies outside of the Enterprise and lots of dream vision stuff is happening. Uh, and he wakes up and realizes that this was the point. There was no, like, deeper information. He was literally just dreaming and that's, it's not that deep. But uh, there was a circuit within him that allows him to dream. Um that has now been awakened by this uh, plasma bolt. And he's like, this is a part of me that I am now in touch with. Thank you for this, Bashir. And that is the end of the data story. Um, meanwhile, on Deep Space Nine, uh, the other plot of this episode, which is the A plot of this two-parter, uh, but nothing happens in this part. Uh, what's his name? What's his name? Worf. <laughs> James Cromwell. <laughs> Uh, the the Uridian. <laughs> yeah, uh, in a, in makeup, walks up to Worf and is like, "I've got some information to sell you." And Worf's like, "Fuck off! I don't want to buy your information." And as he's like, uh, "Your father did not die at Kinema; he's still alive." And Worf's like, "Well, that's obviously not true," and runs away because Worf can't handle direct conflict anyway, anytime ever. Um, he pouts on the Enterprise for a bit. He breaks his he he. Uh, is really shitty to um an, an ensign for a bit for no real reason uh and everyone's like what's going on with you Wolf? are you okay then he's like i'm fine and he breaks a table and troy's like did the table do anything wrong Wolf? because troy's secretly the best character in tng even if TNG i mean doesn't this know is it. this is post uh chain of command troy so troy's the best yep troy just in an actual uniform being able to like walk over every character because she's the most emotionally intelligent person on the enterprise um, yeah it's great the, when they figure out that's what to do with her other than have her repeat i sense there's danger over there um, <laughs> <laughs> i think they're lying <laughs> thanks troy 
so it's great. Like her scenes of Worf is fantastic. You see how this immediately becomes the like because I don't think the relationship starts till season seven, but you see the seeds of it in this scene here, just with how good she is with Worf because Worf refuses mm-hmm. to open up to anyone and she can make everyone open up. Mm-hmm. Um, so that happens. Uh, he talks with Data, and Data's going through his plot about his visions and basically gives him advice. And Data's like, "You stopped giving me advice and started talking to yourself about your father. I wasn't talking to you about my father. So clearly, you've got things to sort out." <laughs> <laughs> and then realizes that he has to see this through whatever it is so goes uh and it's like i will buy the information but um you are taking me to this place you are taking me to wherever he is being held i'm not going to like take this coordinates from you you are part of this um so he goes uh, in in this little ship and flies off to a supposed romulan prison camp uh, where the survivors of kenema are being held um among which moog is promised to be uh that's the rest of the episode he spends like five scenes doing that he flies there he lands on the planet uh he goes there um he spends most of the episode just uh, going there and in the final scene he goes there and he meets the klingons and is like i'm here to rescue you i'm gonna i'm gonna get you out it's all gonna be okay and um the klingons are like no we are not like we are held here because we want to be, we are not leaving Worf, and neither are you. Bum, 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 to well, be yeah, continued. Then some Romulans step out with disruptors, so. Well, yeah, but they don't actually fire them or do anything with them. It's the most fake cliffhanger threats. Yeah, but anytime you see a Romulan on TNG, it's supposed to be a big deal. I guess it is. Huh. Yeah. They do always play like that. I don't think of it as that, because, was, yeah, yeah, it's the Romulans. They don't really matter. Yeah, no, because they never actually do anything, but the show does not play it that way. You're meant to be terrified when there's a Romulan. Like, these are the real bad guys, and every single time... Like, this is post them doing that with Sailor and doing nothing with it. Yeah, no, Sailor's gone and taken care of by now. Yeah. So. But that is Birthright, part one. Yep. Uh, we'll talk about the wolf stuff mostly next time because literally nothing yeah. happens. Uh, yes. Other than other than he gives data advice. And I was like, I don't know if these two characters ever interact outside of maybe this scene. It's a very funny scene because he starts giving yes. data the advice, but then literally just does the thing where he's actually talking about himself, but way more explicit than most characters would do that in most scenes. Yeah, for sure. That even Data, person who supposedly does not have emotions, uh, picks up on this and goes, "You're being a bit weird, Wolf. Is everything okay?" <laughs> so one of the, so I listened to uh, a Star Trek rewatch and review or like episode breakdown podcast called Mission Log, yes. which is pretty good if you want to listen to two middle aged straight men talk about Star Trek. That sounds insufferable, and it can be, but they're good. They're, they're, I actually like the podcast quite a bit. Yes, um, but I know that we're like the queer leftist Star Trek podcast, so maybe it's not for our entire audience. But the thing they always harp on when they watch tng is the data is a character who goes on and on about how he will never feel emotions and how sad that makes him while talking about how sad that makes him and having a bunch of emotions <laughs> yeah i mean that's we, we say that as well right you know yep. this episode data starts out like oh this wondrous thing has happened i had a vision that can't be possible what what a miracle and then he's like Clearly, I can't experience emotions about this miracle that I'm amazed by. <laughs> Dana, you ha- look at yourself. A little bit of self-analysis. He literally starts. Jordy to- should just sit him down and be like, Dana, you were feeling an emotion. You are uh, amazed at what has happened to you. And you should be. It's an amazing thing. And he'll go, I do not think that is correct, Jordy. <laughs> yep. uh, he comes in and like bosses around Bashir, which this is like season one. Season, season one Bashir. Bashir. Season one Bashir. 
so definitely needs to be bossed around because this guy sucks. This episode was being uh, filmed at the same time as uh, Move Along Home. home. (laughs) Yes, because Terry Feller was supposed to be in this episode and was too busy with that. Which, that means that the minute that Bashir gets, like, erased from the game, he's over here in Sick Bay fiddling this thing. Uh, Let's have this... um, Farrell commented, I cried. I thought I should have fallen off the rock so I could have gone there uh, instead, instead of Sid disappearing. Because when we were filming Move Along Home, his character disappeared and I was acting through the rest of it. (laughs) 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 I can't believe he just got to fuck off the TNG when we were all hopscotching. (laughs) I mean, if it makes her feel better, I like Move Along Home more than Bashir's appearance in this episode. Uh, I really like Bashir's appearance in this episode, but yes, that is fair. You know, um, but he doesn't do like he literally just stands there to ask data questions yeah but like that's the whole point of dumb crossover stuff is to see these characters interact yeah but he's like a less dumb he's like a less scummy version of uh maddox right yeah because he just like the conclusion is i would like to write a paper on you and dad is like well that's fine uh and i'm like it's not fine people write papers on me like three times a week <laughs> one that's true but also shut up Bashir. There's a guy whose entire entire career is thinking he knows what I'm about, and I talk to him all the time. <laughs> he was gonna kill me, but instead of he, I decided to write letters to him. Yeah, <laughs> I guess we're friends. I don't know. It's weird. It's weird being me. <laughs> yep. Ah, uh, data. Uh, the the one of the reasons this uh, the stuff with Bashir is very good is because it allows um, Brent Spiner to do one of my favorite data acting things, which he does every episode at least four times, which is the. Uh, played as emotionless but obviously most charged uh signal of him going hmm like he does the like weird shrug of himself yes <laughs> about four times in like the first scene with Bashir yes it's yes. very funny uh um I love that Bashir comes on the Enterprise and thinks that anything gets done in sickbay because he lives in a station where sometimes stuff gets done in sickbay <laughs> yes. that's not this show you gotta go to engineering <laughs> he's like oh sick bay that's where you have all the computers and he's like we have an engineering section that's not just the big core yeah we got a we got a whole table <laughs> built for solving space mysteries <laughs> this isn't like your ds9 we've got a whole table yeah. i hate how true that is <laughs> and they've, they've moved the table out of the way because there's only they've only got the one do they have the two areas in the set i don't remember how the set breaks yeah. down no 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 they, it's the same set it's like so there's the engineering core which is two levels and then it, it there's like a the big arch that's the door yeah and then there's like there's Geordie station off to the side and then further back is like the little hallway that has the big uh we do science shit here table mm-hmm. and then against the far wall is the hallway that goes in both directions and the big screen yeah i had a play set of this as a child oh, thank you good because i can't i don't have like that level of deep knowledge of this i have i have sets of tng just in my brain i could like recreate them in minecraft you have them like because perf- you have like not only that you have a technical manual in your head somewhere back there um, not as like clearly as that set. No, not as clearly but, as that. But like you remember if, where if the, the standing dolphins sets, are. The standing sets of TNG I could recreate pretty well. Yeah, but you know, like you know where the dolphins are. You know what's up. I mean, I I know that they exist. They're in the saucer somewhere. I don't. I couldn't point them out to you without yeah, looking for them. More clearly than I could. Yeah, fair. But the sets I know really well. I mean, I've watched every episode of this show like twenty times. Not twenty, but yeah, yeah. a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yes. I like that Soong is just like. Like, brain soon, whatever, is not mad that Data accesses early. He's just excited that he, he's here. Uh, yep, I like... Even though Data is, like, almost too literal to grasp what is happening. He's like, well, a little grounded, but you're here, so let's celebrate. <laughs> I like that the whole episode is supposedly about the mystery of these visions. Um, and the imagery is just 
brain dead stupid like it's the most hilarious tv dream imagery and then the ultimate conclusion is yeah it's just a dream like what do you want <laughs> like yep. it's not the imagery is not meant to be in itself meaningful i think that saves it when it's like data's a bird flying into space from the enterprise <laughs> yes which is not nearly as good as next season where we get Troy's nightmare about being a cake that Data chops up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can see he starts, like, a bunch of plants start appearing on the bridge and the cat's there, like, spots there. Um, yeah. And I'm like, this is no cake, is it, though? <laughs> it's no cake. Yeah, no, really. It's not Data has a phone ringing inside of him. Because <laughs> when you get into TNG dream imagery, there's only one place you actually go. <laughs> yeah. Not yeah, it's data's peptide cake. It's so good. It's not uh, soon going. Data, you are the bird, and then he is the bird. Yeah, when sail away starts playing. <laughs> yeah, god damn it. Um, this is the one time that Brent Spiner is doing soon where he doesn't come across as a giant creeper. I'll give it that. That's true. Yeah, this is probably my best soon experience because normally I think soon is basically insufferable. I mean, he is. You know, that's just a true thing. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but not in here. He's fine. Data painting a bunch of pictures is very good. <laughs> Anytime they do the thing where Data's meant to be moving really fast, but they've just moved up, like, cranked the film a bit faster, it's well, always the thing, good. The one where he's, like, painting really fast, they don't even do that. He's just, like, moving his hands fast. Well, <laughs> trying to hold very still. I was, I was waiting, because they, they do crank the speed on it, but they, um, it's only in the, like, shot of Data. Um, yeah. and I was waiting for the reverse shot where it's someone else's hand sped up uh, no. but no you don't even get that it just cuts straight to and then he's done 12 images you don't, you don't need it everyone knows yeah, that's true <laughs> yep. uh, but that's it's a very light episode because it's mostly getting all of the plot set up of uh, Worf arriving at the camp out of the way so that the next episode can actually be about that yep. yeah so there's really nothing to say about that until we get there, because yep. that's all next episode's about. So uh, let's get on to Birthright Part 2, which, shockingly, is TNG Season 6, Episode 17, and 1st of March 1993. Uh, it was written by René Echevarria and directed by Dan Curry, and it took place once again in 2369. All right, so Worf is captured by these Romul- or the Romulans and the Klingons. They He has to stay here. Um, they, he, uh, so the two main, like, adult Klingons that he runs across are Lacor and Giral. Um, they're basically, like, the leaders of this thing. They were knocked out during the Kittimer Massacre and taken captive with everyone who didn't kill themselves. They tried to do that, but didn't. And then eventually the Romulans, um, were like, well, I guess we're stuck with these. What was it? They... Um, they were going to give them back to the Klingon Empire, but the Klingon Empire didn't want them because they're like, they were captured, they're dishonored, we just fucking kill them. And then Tokoth, the Romulan officer, captured them, didn't want to kill them, and couldn't let them go because no one wanted them. He was like, well, we'll just build this camp and keep them here. Uh, um, and then spe- Tokoth basically, oh, go ahead. There's specifically a line where he's like, he actually offers to just let them just go, like, completely yes. free. Uh, and they're like, well, no, we're Klingons, obviously not, idiots. Uh, but then Takoth had to stay here because basically both uh, both government, like even the Romans, like we don't want these Klingons around. If you want to watch them, you need to like do that and then not be a general anymore or whatever he is, right? Yep. Uh, so they've just been living here for 20 years, something, right? 30 years? Mm-hmm. 
Um, and Worf is here, and now they're all like, well, don't know what we're going to do. Uh, Tukov even is like, I've even married a Klingon, but doesn't mention it past that. Uh because that's going to come up. <laughs> yes, uh, anyway, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of younger Klingons that are probably in their early 20s here. There's a, a young guy named Talk uh, who is like the I like it here bratty boy, but clearly he's not actually happy. He's just the most Klingon. If you could get like a stock Klingon, you'd make this guy. Yep. Um, and then uh, he meets Bael, who's the young woman. Um, he met her f- first, like last episode, right? He saw her as he was coming into yes, camp or yes, something. Yes, yes, uh, yeah. He's like, don't tell anyone I was here. I'm, I'm Worf. I'm doing a like black ops mission, and she's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, uh, she doesn't seem to care about the outside world. She's like, why would I want to go anywhere? I'm happy here. Everything's fine. I could go whenever I wanted. And Worf was like, yes, I bet that's true. We will have to see. Anyway, a lot of this is everyone like dealing with Worf being here and disrupting the community. Um, Everyone's culture has been, like, degraded as these Klingon warriors try not to teach their kids about Klingon stuff outside of, like, like, they taught them this lullaby that is actually the Klingon war song, like, victory song, and Worf's like, I can't believe you've done this, and uh, all of the, like, spear-throwing, like, they have a spear-throwing, like, training exercise that is now turned into, like, basically, like, weird space croquet. Uh, some guy is, like, hoeing vegetables with a hunting spear, like a halberd, and Worf is just horrified at all of this stuff. He thinks this is the worst thing that's ever happened. Um, and he tries to escape, and that's not going to work, so they're like, we're just going to put a tracker in you, and if you try to escape, we're going to have to kill you, and we don't want to do that, Worf. Don't make us do that. Um, we're going to be cool, you be cool, everything will be fine, and Worf's like, fine. And then he does his Klingon Tai Chi in the, uh, like courtyard of this place yep and all the youngsters are watching and they're like what is this and they try to do it and it's uh, clearly they don't know how mirroring works because they use the wrong hand on top and like the little <laughs> like ball thing which is very funny and worse like no this way and explains it and he, it's the beginning of him slowly teaching everyone how to be klingon as he teaches them calisthenics he takes talk out hunting uh he teaches Bael that the songs she sings is like a warrior song she shows him stuff that her parents have kept hidden. Uh, her mother is Garal, like the woman leader. Um, she's like, I can't believe you're showing her all this. Don't teach her about her culture. She'll want to leave. And we're just like, it's her right. She is a Klingon. That's what we do. We go out and we figure shit out and fight. And that's our life. Uh, and then him and Bael have this like tender moment where like all clearly warps into her. Um, but then he goes to like kiss her and brushes her hair uh, past her face. And she has Romulan ears because she's half Romulan because she's Tokov's daughter also. Big twist. Massive twist. Who could have foreseen? And then Worf's like, oh, but racism. <laughs> and she's like, are you going to let politics ruin your horny? And he's like, yes, I'm the one person in space who will allow that to happen. <laughs> it's like, have you not seen this show before? No one else will do that, but I will. <laughs> I will generate politics to ruin everyone's horny good time on Ryza in four years. <laughs> At the same time, like, uh, I was laughing because I'd forgotten um, the specifics of this, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And in in the time between watching this episode for the first time and rewatching, we have read uh, Ashes of Eden. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> in which, uh, like, Kirk is uncontrollably horny for Klingon Romulan hybrids. Those are those are not like naturally born ro- hybrids, but yes, yes. No, like there's a specifically like hybrids rather than people with like you know, yep. uh, mixed heritage, just biracial, yeah, biracial alien yeah. kids. Yes, uh, but still, I thought of that a lot. I was I was yep. I was laughing. Yes. <laughs> yep. 
so anyway, all this happens. Worf is continually teaching them how to sing and how to hunt and how to be Klingon. And they're like, well, we're just going to have to kill you if you refuse to teach people about this stuff. And they have this big scene where uh, Takas like, well, we are going to have to kill you. And we're, and then all of the kids surround Worf and be like, if you have to kill him, you're going to kill all of us. Um, and then like, what do we do? And they're like, well, we realize the adult, uh, there's like this big speech. And one of the adults is like, we want to stay here to protect our children from dishonor. And what we've actually done is pass this dishonor onto the children we've had here. We need to let them be children, cling on children out in the galaxy, free and clear. And uh, Worf then contacts, he, what is he? He contacts like the Romulan uh, ship that's going to come and give supplies. And they all are escorted to the Federation border as Klingons that were just lost when a ship blew up several years ago because they can't tell anyone about the prison camp. Yep. Uh, they must retain the honor of these, like all the people at Kerma. Yep. Because uh, there's some stuff with the Enterprise here where they're looking for Worf. None of that matters. Oh, it doesn't matter. There's literally nothing relevant here. Data stuff never comes up again. Uh, Worf gets on the Enterprise and he tells Picard that there was no prison camp. These these are just survivors of a vessel that crashed. And then the captain's like, yes, I understand. Taps his nose. <laughs> and the music plays and we're out of here. He basically does a comedy wink. <laughs> yes. Uh, I see there was no prison camp. Worf? <laughs> yep. Uh, it's pretty good. This episode's great. This is a fantastic episode. So yes, these the, those are the facts of the episode. The thing that this episode actually is, is that Worf teaches a bunch of like young kids how to be militant black people. Yeah. It's really obvious what this this episode is doing in a way that is like the late DS9 Worf stuff is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, because this is where I feel like the Klingons get way more racially coded. Yeah, and um, that's like problematic in a whole bunch of ways, but I feel like it's better than yes. ignoring it. Like leaning into it is yes. at least admitting what this is. Uh, and too many of these Klingons are white folk yes. in brown face, but I uh, like Talk is another black character. And you can tell. Um, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it helps a lot. It sure uh, does. Yes. Um... But yeah, he basically comes down and is like, I'm going to teach you about natural hair and that our people came from Africa and we used to be kings and queens uh, and does that and ruins this like community of people who have been naturalized. And uh, it's really interesting because like politically, look, if Worf was on Twitter, he would just be Hotep Twitter. And that's like a ridiculous <laughs> fact, but that is true. Uh, but also in this instance, he's not necessarily wrong for what he does, but he does ruin this community. <laughs> Yeah, but the communities of—I don't know—the community deserves to be ruined. I don't know. It's it's such a weird, complicated thing, right? Because like, what he does is basically like impose his will as like I am going to determine what is right and good on this community that has chosen that for themselves, and I disagree with it. Like, it's the most Federation patriarchal bullshit. But also, he's not wrong to give these kids their hair. Yeah, but he's doing it against Tokoth, who is like. Yeah, but he's also doing against the Klingons who founded this place and want they want their kids to live with them, right? Like, they're like, we have a community, these are our children, we don't want them to go off into space. Yeah, but, like, they get, there are moments in this episode where the kids go up to the uh, parents and, like, can I just fuck off for a bit? Can I go on a holiday? And they go, uh, no, we'll see, I guess. Like, no one's getting off this world. Yeah. I mean, it's never come up before, because they didn't trick teach them about the, like, they still think the war is going on, because they didn't tell these kids anything. Yeah, I, I, I think what Wolf did is, like, fundamentally... I, I think it's a good thing. I think that it's. I think that there is nuance to it. And oh, it's part of the thing I like about this episode. There's there's definitely there's a, there, like, to it. I think people could easily come out and say Worf did the wrong thing, and I don't agree with it, but uh, he does kind of just break up these families because he doesn't agree with their philosophy. <laughs> yeah, and I get that. And, like, um, it's like the interesting complications are how he's like, 
you know, this is our, this is who we are. We have to remember this, blah blah blah. And also, we have to remember that the that the uh, that the Romulans are all our blood enemies. And they're like, that's just not, that's just not true. Like, we're all half Romulan, dude. Or at least I am. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That- and then he takes them into space where they're all going to be dishonored and not have families and can't talk about their parentage, right? Like, well, if anyone sees that they're half Romulan, the Klingons are just going to murder them. Probably. Well, the part where and like she says that in this episode, and the part where the like. Because it's a TNG episode, right? It ends, and they yeah. they just walk away. Like that is yeah. the ultimate TNG critique, and that is uh, almost more true in this episode than very few others because of how directly about this stuff it is. Um, yeah, uh, and like I agree with all that, and I think that makes uh, Warp Wolf does like n- not the best. But also, I don't think there's any way you can defend uh, this community as a thing that exists. Yeah, I think it is like. A prison that is be- convincing the people who have been born into it that it is their home uh, is like inherently a perverse thing, and Tukov, uh, that all is on Takoth's head. Mm, yeah, but with the situation already extant, I think Worf's solution has more fallout than Worf pretends it does, right? Ooh, like he's like, yes. oh, I'm going to liberate these people and everything will be fine. And he gets to think that as he goes on in life. But like even Worf's situation as a Klingon is incredibly precarious and remains so for the next 10 years. Oh, yes. But also that's just like an episode of TNG, right? That's literally every TNG episode has that kind of like tenuous. Oh, sure. But this is TNG definitely putting a foot. And especially as we're looking at this as like, this is the story of Worf as he relates mm-hmm. to all of Star Trek. Like it's it's part of the broader picture of where like galactic geopolitics goes in this decade right I don't know. so so we can't just read this as like one step like yeah if it's like oh Worf leaves then yeah it's just the same as every other episode but if it's like Worf liberates all of these Klingon Romulans and then they don't have houses and the Klingon Empire is what it is knowing going forward that there's going to be like a big war in three years it's weird it's probably a bad thing to do uh that's true I but I don't. That. I don't think it's a wrong thing to do. I do think he's caused harm, though. I, he's definitely caused harm. But I. I don't know. I feel like this is the shattering of something that should never have happened. Um, yep, that's fair. So, like, yes, it's going to cause harm, but also, it, like, the the thing that shouldn't have uh, come to me. In the, I don't know. I I pl- place all the blame on Takaf here. Like, he's he's a prison. It's a prison. It's a fucking prison. Uh, is I what mean, it all comes down to. He has long since stopped really thinking of it as a prison, though there are there are interesting power dynamic things where he's like, every once in a while when something comes up, he still acts like it's a prison, and everyone's like, no, this isn't a prison, my dude. We would, we're all, like, married to you now. Well, yeah, that's like, yeah, I don't know. Like, it, like, leaning in as they do to, like, the, like, racial coding of the Klingons and what this is about, right? Like, that yes. stuff and what Takoth character essentially is, which is basically, you know, like, it... It comes real close to I married my slave type thing. Yes. Uh, so I just like hate him. And I'm like, he's the one. He, I don't know. I feel like it all goes in his head. Um, yeah, no, you're not wrong. I just think it's more nuanced than just like mm-hmm. a clear wharf is in the right here. That's fair. And like this episode definitely, like this feels like a DS9 episode more than it does a TNG episode in a lot of ways. And it's definitely made weaker by the fact that they never like give the Romulans the level of nuance that the Klingons get throughout these two shows. Yes. Uh, Like because the Romulans just suck and like Takoth sucks, but there's also way less like background culture to pull from when thinking about Romulans. Yep. Um, So it makes that side of the, this whole equation much simpler. Uh, if you want to really hate this episode, there's a quote in Memory Alpha uh-huh. from Michael Pillar that uh-huh. starts, I had just seen Malcolm X. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> it goes on, but you could get the idea. 
we know. We could tell. Yeah. Uh, ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's that's Bethany. Yeah, like this, this situation isn't that much different than like the Bajoran refugees, right? Like Kira's mom was Golducott's like concubine on Tarek Nor. Yeah. Like, like these are things that happen. And I think I think that is a a much better exploration of like that specific side of it. And B, yes. Golducott is like fundamentally in a irre- ah, he's evil. Whatever the word I was trying to yes, say. Is. He, but like he's evil for a lot of reasons. And I don't know if Tokoth actually gets that. Like Tokoth is not painted as evil in that way. No, he's not. Which is, but I think he is. Uh, like I agree with your read on the episode is what it's like trying to do and uh, the way it's complicated. I just yes. in my personal like politics, I'm way more anti Takoth that I think that like nothing Worf can do can even compare to what this other guy's done. Um, like what, like yes, in the the pure politics sense, Takoth is pr- like a bad actor, mm-hmm. but also he made like a very human choice that has caused a mess. Right. That's true. I think he is like the situation is sympathetic, even if the character is not written sympathetically in this episode, because Romulans are never given characterization. <laughs> yeah, I think that's also what it comes down to is they should have just like it's the Romulan who's keeping all these Klingons here. It's not yep. the best or well fleshed out thing, but th- these are complaints that you can't really have with a lot of TNG episodes because not all of them have the level. They don't go to. I mean, the- I'm not really complaining. I'm just more feeling out my feelings on this episode because this is I really like this episode. Yeah, no, me uh, too. It's like messy in the way as I want Star Trek to be. Mm-hmm. well that's kind of what i meant is that because they go they lean all the way into it they lean into the most like capital p problematic elements and everything but it means it can be honest about them we can actually talk about them rather than them just like trying to do- remember how the episode wrapped up last time remember how redemption wrapped up and yeah. how it just ignored yeah. literally Terrible. everything it brought up yes. <laughs> yeah. it brought up a bunch of ideas that were uncomfortable about the protagonist federation all these perspectives all this politics and everything and then just never did it just disappeared <laughs> Yeah, uh, at least Worf has like an opinion about this stuff and carries it out. Yeah, like I might not necessarily agree with all of it. Like he should probably do a little more follow through on his plan here. But he has done the thing he believes is right. Worf has never been a character who needs to worry about self justification because he's always believes entirely in what he does. It's gonna be <laughs> well, that's true. Uh, it's gonna be really funny when any of these Klingons go meet actual Klingons and realize that none of them are as on their bullshit as Worf. <laughs> yeah because uh, <laughs> Worf is like teaching them to be like him the most like I learned all of my culture from books yep. Klingon possible uh, just in, just a bunch of tiny Worfs who are all like we must all be Klingon the Klingons are like what are you talking about <laughs> I'm already Klingon yeah. um, that's pretty good uh, I, I did a little I didn't look at what any of them said but uh, both uh, Tark and Bial, um are included in some books in the future Oh, cool. Is that like the um, I guess Gorkon, Gorkon, Gorkon type stuff? Yeah, I think it's around there. There's a couple of other Klingon things, but yeah, I didn't look in, as to what happens. Uh, but I, they, there is a decent apocryphal section for both of them, so they come back. Okay, that's cool. I'm really excited about yeah, that. Yeah, no, me too. Uh, I want more. I want more. After this uh, month, uh, I want more Klingon stuff, and there isn't actually that much in the no, world out there. No, I, I'm about to get into this book because I really like this book. Yeah, I was like, how many books is Martok in? Like, two of them, and not as a main character. <laughs> uh, wait, he's not even... He, wait, I guess the IKS Gorkon stuff would all be separated from... Yes. He just becomes the Federation president, and then goes to sit behind a desk forever. Yeah. Fuck. Yep, yeah. Damn it! Yeah, it's a real shame, because <laughs> this book's great. Let's get it, let's, let's have a musical break, and we'll come back. to more. Fire streaks the heavens. Shoja to roll. Battle has begun. 
Bagda to Mo, Soja to Ro, Yaja Ko, Yaja Ko, Yaja Ko. Majdak, Odu, Shidak, Maju, Padak, Chaba, Purak, Chuko. month is The Left Hand of Destiny, book two, written by J.G. Hertzler and Jeffrey Lang. It was published in May 2003, and it came out, uh, well, it's set, actually. No, that was bad. Hmm. It's set in 2376. Um, that's the that's the book we're reading. It is the sequel to last month's book, The Left Hand of Destiny, book one. They split this what, one up. What happened in that book, Jackson? Um, well, uh, the... <laughs> shit. The Cleon... Um, What's the word? Like, it's not Klingon House of Parliament, whatever the equivalent is. Yes, Klingon um, High Council. Klingon High Council, thank you. Um, got bombed uh, by a low-orbit uh, craft that they knew had to be from Kronos, uh, but everyone just got wiped off the face of the Earth. Martok's government was basically f- uh, forced into a coup um, by his son, Morjod, who was being controlled by uh, his like mother, who was... Um, well, we'll get into what she was in this book. Uh, at Gothmara, uh, that happens. Everyone, a lot of people die. Uh, there's a lot of riots on, on Kronos. Everything's going to shit. Um, and then the majority of that book is Martok trying to go save Sorella from being executed by uh, the people who have done this coup. Uh, and it ends with Worf being like, with all the gang being together, he saves Sorella. Everyone's on a ship together, uh, waiting to know how best to fight these usurpers. Um and Worf sends a single-word message to Esri back on DS9 that just reads, Now. And that's where we begin. Uh, with Esri going, Now clearly means that the House of Martok has need of me, uh, which she could have just sent, but I guess Worf is all about being secretive. And so she goes to Kira and is like, uh, I need to take a vacation right now. And Kira's like, uh, are you going to tell me why? She's like, no, I'm not. I can't. She's like, well, I need to know. That's kind of my job. You are you work for me. Please tell me. She's like, I'm doing it on personal business. And she's like, what's personal of you that you can't tell me? It's like, not for me. The person who business it is would be mad if I told you. And she's like, all right, uh, leave granted. Tell Worf I said hi. <laughs> uh, because Kira knows entirely who would be the person who'd have this bullshit going yep. on. Just like Picard going, yes, there was no prison camp. Wink. Um, Everyone understands. Yes. Meanwhile, uh, Gowron and Kaelas and the few captains yep. he has Martok. under his banner. Yes, Martok, not Garen. Garen's dead. Garen remains dead. That's not a reveal in this book, thankfully. Uh, no more um, Garen. All have a big sit about what they're going to do, and uh, there isn't a whole lot they can do because there are very few of them. Um, they are going to rendezvous with like another general, and that general turns out that he was already uh, killed by Morjad, and they get in a big battle, and Sorella 
crashes their ship into that fleet to distract them so Martok's fleet can get away. So rip Sorella, that's a big pain. That sucks. But basically everyone is low morals, ready to get low morale, not low morals. These are the good Klingons. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, low morale, but they're going to, they have a plan to get the stuff together and then they're going to go to Boreth, which is where the monastery is, where Kalas was reborn in this clone form and where Gothmara supposedly was and they're going to attack there because that's clearly where Gothmara's like seat of power is and it's where they can strike a blow that will like turn the tide in their favor with public opinion which is what they need more than anything um yeah they can't just like go kill this guy they have to prove that um Martok is the true chancellor uh, yes. and take back command of the Klingon Empire Yes. And th- this is also where they talk about how Gothamar is using subliminal messaging to like win people over in the speeches and stuff, right? Yes. Well, because she's so, she's like a weird bioscientist mad genius. Yeah. So the, the first like seven chapters of this book are essentially one long meeting scene um, yep. as everyone sits down and goes, all right, what do we know? Everyone pull your information together. What do we know about Gothamara? How can we do this? Uh, and across those seven chapters, it gets worked out that we should all go to this place, um, do this fight. Uh, and win for the glory of the empire Uh, and then that's what the entire second half of the book is they go do this fight for a long time well also there's a big flashback about gauron meeting gothmara when or martok meeting gothmara when he was young (laughs) that's Um, part of the meeting scene that's in the early yes but also like in that scene it reveals that she like has a gun installed in her head Yeah, I was she's a got a bunch of that. like crazy mad scientist shit going on. It's very interesting. Uh, yeah, she's ridiculous. Yes, um, to the point where I thought maybe they would reveal that uh, that um, Morjod isn't actually Martok's son, but is like a weird like DNA clone thing. No, um, but that doesn't actually come up. No, though she did basically like drug him to sleep with him, so. Uh, why why do a weird clone thing when you can just be like more evil it's it's quicker yeah that's fair uh anyway they split up Worf is off to look for uh, an object that is not revealed to us immediately um while martok is going to boreth specifically to go get this stuff done uh esri then meets up with Worf in this asteroid field where she's like sitting there like hmm i think they're here this is where they'd be i need to but they're cloaked and they're not responding to anything so i need to send out a message so she sends out a message and then Worf is like i was waiting for you to say something we don't know who you are <laughs> for yeah. like six hours they just were in the standoff because <laughs> Worf is the most stubborn person in the world yeah no, there's literally a line about how long they were just sitting there in silence both knowing it's Worf and esri but like no one willing to make a move because what if it's a trap <laughs> yeah uh which is very dumb and good uh and it turns out that they're looking for the sort of Kales, which Worf Ezri um no Jedzia Jedzia yes. yes we're Worf Jedzia um Dahar Master Core and uh, Martok all went and found in DS9, but it turns out that it was basically the one ring because it'd make everyone like mad with greed if they had it, um, if they weren't like worthy of it. And so they just threw it out into space to spin in the Gamma Quadrant forever. And so they're, they need to grab it. <laughs> like, ah, we really left it in an awkward place. Let's go, go get the, let's go get yeah. the ship. Let's go get the sword. And where they left it is in the middle of like a asteroid or where it drifted into is like the middle of like the most deadly asteroid field possible <laughs> yep and so Ezri has to go get it in a uh, eva suit and we get a description of the klingon eva suits which are basically like giant weapon mechs that you wear <laughs> yes um which is very funny 
Uh, Ezri isn't like, why are, this, why are these suits like this? What is going on? And Worf's like, if I had one of these suits when we had encountered the Borg in first contact, I wouldn't have any of these problems. <laughs> yes, there's a whole situation about how dumb the scene of first contact was and how Worf survived because he was the only one who bothered to make his EVA suit not shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which isn't true. He had the exact same EVA suit. All he did was tie a Borg tube around his leg. Uh, yes, but this this book has there's another line. I think it's earlier. Uh, no, no, it might be later. It might be when they're walking around. Um, but I'll, I'll bring it up now because we're going into it. Uh, as a line between Worf and Alexander, uh, Ezra and Alexander. No, no, we'll we'll oh, save you, that stuff. Saved, I want to save the flavor stuff until after we get the plot. Of oh, okay, I don't know how much we were doing yes. as we went. That's anyway, um, Ezri finds the sword right as Morjod attacks Worf, and then they basically are hauling ass under fire back to Boreth to meet with uh, Martok. Meanwhile, Martok lands. And it's here where he meets the, like, monks or whatever, right? I don't remember their name. Yeah, he goes to fight um, Gothmar. gets immediately destroyed, like, thrown off a mountain, destroyed. Should be dead. Uh, oh, yeah, because she uses the, uh, what are they called? The, the Herc. The Herc, yes. Um, Which we also find out that the Herc are transformed Klingons and are not weird aliens. Like, maybe they were back in history, but Gothmar is just making them out of a Herc DNA she found in the ice. Yep, she's just making mad scientist shit. Uh, yep. So he gets completely thrown off a mountain, like backbroken and everything. Like Martok is done, uh, but then he wakes up a couple days later in this like secret cave uh, with the Katai. Um, yeah, who are called the are, torchbearers, right? Yeah, like basically, it's that they they are. How, hmm, how do they phrase torch, this exactly? Torchbringer is the discovery. I have this. I I, I have a thing because I sent you a picture. Let me go through my photos because I took some photos of some lines from this book that I wanted yes. to reference. Yes. Uh, and then I happen to scroll way too far up. So vamp for a second. Um, well, uh, this book has some similarities to Discovery in terms of like what it does with uh, with the Klingons and the Sword of Kalos specifically. This Katai stuff is yes, like... Yes, Katai is called, are called Firebringers. Firebringers, very similar it. to Torchbearer, which is what uh, Makuve was in Discovery. And they're very, they have a very similar goal, which is they're not the ones who want to like become the Emperor or whatever. Or, you know, they don't, but they are here to guide... Uh, Klingons to the like correct path and uh, speak like uh, with all their might when the uh, chosen one comes and they've decided that is Martok. Martok is the one. He's he's going to be the one. And Martok's like, ah, shit, really? Is it me? I guess it's going to be me. It's not going to be anyone else, Martok. So <laughs> and that's the, the whole arc of these two books and everyone going, Martok, it's you, and Martok going, I don't want it to be me. I'd really rather it be someone else. <laughs> Which big mood? Yeah. Um. So he's there with these people who, yeah, they're all about the reinstallation of an old idea of the Klingon Empire, which is similar to dreams Martok is having of... Like his father, who was a Katai. No, Kaelas' bride. What's her name? Do you remember off the top of your head? Oh, no. But, like, there's, there's a series of dreams. Like, it starts with his father, and there's one in this book with um, with the with the bride, and I don't remember... Um, I don't um, remember what her name was. Yeah, Luc- no, it's it's of history, so I Lucara. should know this. Lucara, stuff. yeah, Lucara, yes, uh, who is I, a tiny lady who just dispenses wisdom, which is also great. not Kalos's wife. I don't think. And like he's like you, Kalos's wife, and she's like, is that what they say? Huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, whatever. I guess that's te- like like that's true from a certain point of view. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, which is all very good. Um, and so uh. Martok basically is just being handed the mantle of he needs to be the new, like, leadership of, the, like, a new vision for the Klingon Empire. 
um, that can revitalize everything. And he's like, I guess I will do that if I survive this battle, because now he's been thrown in the fucking Saiyan restoration tank and is very powerful again. <laughs> yeah, so we have we have a big say, stage that's been set for battle, a uh, sever battle. We have Marduk in the Saiyan restoration trap tra- taint chamber or whatever, and then we have Wolf with a magic weapon like a galaxy away. So all of the various tropes are in play for this battle to play out exactly how you would expect. Yes. But we just get Klingons, like, all of the monks are riding on these big, like, furry prequel Star Wars creatures <laughs> yes. through the ice, charging into battle against these Herc monsters, and it's just the most extremely on-its-bullshit Star Trek has been about this kind of thing. Uh, yeah, this this book is uh, capital E, like, in the general descriptive sense, epic in a way that most of these Star Trek books are not, which it's going for. Like, it's just doing the Arthur thing, but for Klingons. Like, that's what the yes. whole book explicitly is. Not subtle about that. Uh, but yep. it leans into it in a very funny way, especially when, like, the cover of the second book is what this would be if it was a television show, which is 12 Klingons and a sword. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but as yes. written, the book is like actually like huge in a way that you would never have the budget for. It's, um, it's big in the way that Star Trek just can't do. Uh, not as cool as the uh, like planet exploding and then the aliens who communicate with like lights. Yeah, uh, no, that's a different vision of what Star Trek could be. <laughs> yeah, but when it comes to things, book Star Trek can do. I'll take it. I'll take ridiculous epics about Klingons. Yeah. So there's a big battle and a bunch, all the Herc basically die because they're actually pretty weak. Um, and the Klingons just, like, both sides hate them. It's implied that even Morjod's Klingon forces are just killing the Herc when they get a chance. Because uh, there's just a deep, like, cultural fear of them as creatures. Um, and then Martok's, like, attendant guy whose name I don't remember dies. Uh uh, far, a good far, takes a bullet and dies. Uh, no, well, the, we, Look, we're summar- not going to summarize the entire fronts of the battle. No, but we have to summarize the fraud moment. Um, that, that moment is... Okay, go ahead. Be my guess. So, so the way it goes down is that um, the battle's happening. Um, Mordor takes out uh, the, the Retaran, which is where uh, Worf is, but like doesn't actually blow it up because he's got... He wants to, uh, you know... I was just, I was gonna say he wants to Sirocco uh, Gothmara, but no, you can't he, do that. Here. I can't. He do- also he knows the sword of Kalos is there. He wants the sword of Kalos. Yeah, he wants the sword of Kalos. He's, he's planning to uh, like take control for himself. Uh, but Worf is like, well, that's fine. We're not dead. Let's crash the ship. Uh, so they just crash the ship and all like s- schedule it so they can beam out at the last second because they only have short range transporters. But if they're close enough to the planet, that's fine. <laughs> uh, so they crash the ship. Everything's fine. Uh, they bring the sword. Um, uh, they bring the sword to uh, uh, to, to Martok, like, who's standing in the middle of a frozen lake that is becoming unfrozen. Uh, be- I would like to point out that everyone beams off of the Rotaran as it crashes into the lake, aside from Ezri, who's still in her EVA suit, and then she climbs out of the frozen lake in her suit and hands Martok the sword like it's Arthurian legend, because this book is so on its bullshit. Yeah, if you didn't know what this book was doing until literally the uh, only still living a not evil woman in this book uh picks up the sword and then uh, she almost dies because she can't get her helmet off <laughs> just like a Thorian legend yeah um anyway so basically the battle stops as this is happening um and everyone witnesses martok hold the sword up uh or like just like hold it uh but then uh Mordor is on a cliff basically taking the sniper shot uh at um 
at Martok and uh, Farah like jumps in front of it like full on no <laughs> uh, and does not manage to like hit the bullet with his shield like he intends to but just takes it in his chest and so he dies and like it's like uh, I'm not going to do very well in the Ferengi afterlife can I come to Stovacore and um uh, Martok is all, I think that is like, there are, uh, if we fight for your honor today, we will. And so he just picks up the, this ep- this epic sword, holds it up in the air, and tells everyone that they're going to fight for this dead Ferengi. And everyone like is a bit confused, but all cheers. <laughs> yeah, everyone's super ready. They <laughs> yeah, don't care. Super fucking ready to ha- make this battle happen. It's it's very cool. Yep. Um, uh, Far does call it uh, Kovo Store, which was very funny to me. <laughs> oh, yes, the Kovo Store. Can you buy me a spot in the Kovo Store? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then he goes up to fight Morjod, and he just kicks Morjod's ass uh, because Morjod doesn't actually know what he's doing. And the, it's implied, even though in in the episode, the sort of Kalos is just another Batleth prop, that this, the sort of Kalos is just like the most incredible, like epic tier piece of loot that's possible. Yeah. Uh, just like made of gold with rubies on it bullshit yeah there's a bunch of stuff but like this is uh rumored to have like the souls of blah 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 blah. he's like but that is completely bullshit it's just a very good sword (laughs) is one of the lines yeah um and then uh when he defeats morjod then morjod turns into a herc because he's been uh like genetically altered by Gothmara and then um, uh Martok kills the Herc and he's like I have to I'm letting my son at peace and now I have to go kill Gothmara for doing this because no Klingon would ever be so dishonorable must go destroy her yeah the battle Uh, is over and he just goes and walks to go take out Gothmara yep uh he finds her hidden in a cave like thinking about escaping but it's far too late uh, and then she does like a psychic whammy on him, right? Where he sees Sorella, Cer- yes. and he's like, "Oh, Sorella's still alive!" And then that Sorella vision steps up and like stabs him in the stomach. Uh, but um, he like breaks out of it and cuts her head off. Yeah, uh, and then passes out, and then wakes up sometime later when all of the battle is tidied up. Yep, there's there's no wrap up, just hard cut epilogue. Yep. So epilogue is he is recovering. He is the chancellor. I assumed he was going to step up and be emperor, but Kalos is still out there. Has not like given up the throne of emperor. I guess he can't, right? Unless he's dead. Yeah. Also, he's like in the wind. Like he he he's at the battle yeah. and he's like involved in some of it, but then just stops showing up at a point. Um, yeah. I thought that was a fine decision to just let Kalos disappear for Martok's reign or whatever. Yeah, um, I just assumed Martok would be stepping up to the emperorship. Uh, he function he functionally is, but I, I feel like it's fine having him be called Chancellor. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and then he, him and Worf are joking, and Worf's like, well, it's time for me to get the hell off this planet. He's like, yes, it is. And Admiral Ross is there, and he's like, we fixed the uh, embassies. This won't happen again, hopefully. <laughs> Who can say your Klingons are all crazy? <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, and then it, like, ends with Martok sitting in, like, a reflection garden with a statue of, what was her name? The wife of Kalos? Um, Lucara. Lucara. Yes, and the statue is modeled after Sorella, and he's like, this is a fitting memory. Uh, in a thousand years, Ferengi will, or Ferengi, Klingons will look <laughs> at this and be like, this was the gods the Klingons still had and believed in, and it will look like Lady Sorella, and that is the best honoring i can do of her or whatever yeah and it's pretty good and the yeah, end that's pretty good it's a pretty good book yep um martok stepping into being like a mythic figure in this 
Uh, we talked last time about how like J.J. Herschel was like uh, delivered a script that was just like Shakespeare. It, it, this is the most that this book is all that. Yeah, it's all like heavy as the head that doesn't want to wear the crown, um, and just him eventually getting to the point where he's like, "No, I am the, the like destiny has chosen me, and I must step to this um, step to its cool." Uh, it's very good. Yeah, the transformation of Martok into, like, tired old general to, like, chancellor of the Klingon Empire is very good in this book. Uh, yeah, um, I'm glad they did it. He, because... just, he just slowly drifts into, like, being an epic character when he was just, like, a normal person. Yeah, and it was weird because, like, that was the end of DS9's whole point, right? It was like, you're just a random Klingon. Like, that's why we have chosen you and not uh, someone with, like, the ambition to rule everyone because that doesn't ever go well. Uh, and I like the way that, they're, like, he hasn't lost that. He's still just Martok. Uh, but he has yeah. a much better sense of what it means to be in charge of an entire empire. Because he's lost literally every person he cares about except this one son who's clearly his least favorite child. <laughs> he also has like a vision of like what Klingon society could be that it is not now. Mm-hmm. Which is important. Because the whole thing with Gowron is that Gowron was just into the idea of like honor for honor's sake. And a lot of Klingons are just like, we want to fight and get glory and honor is all that matters. And that vision of the Klingon Empire is like a modern advancement that they need to move past if they're going to succeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, embracing that Klingons are a society with like art and compassion and uh, like joy is Im- as important as going out and fighting everyone. Yeah. Because there is like a bit where he's talking, I think to Far, where he's like, oh, we're him or maybe it's Kalos talks about, oh, Klingons have a lot of fear. If they didn't, they would just be a scourge of the galaxy that everyone have to wipe out. Like they're the Krogans or something. <laughs> yeah, he really does just describe the Krogan stuff. Yes. And I was like, man, yeah, that would be bad, wouldn't it? That'd be a bad story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but that stuff's great. Far is great. I'm sad he's dead. I know that's why like, you do that in the story, but um, I would have loved Martok and Far to just hang out and have like epic adventures for like three more books. Far's such an incredible character. I, don't know, appa- I, I can't believe this is true, but like Ferengi are better point of view human characters than humans are in a Star Trek universe. I, no, that doesn't surprise me. I've always held that the Ferengi are us. They absolutely are us. They are most yeah. us. Because, like, humans in Star Trek are too canonized as a very specific thing for what that galaxy is and too aspirational. The Ferengi are just us. Just shitty. Yeah. Kind of tired. Uh, like, uh, weirdly, like, unable to deprogram capitalism from their worldview, but, like, that also gives them an interesting worldview when looking at everyone else. I don't know. I really like the but choice also, of Ferengi. Most of, the, most of the Ferengi we meet hate it. Yeah, like, no, they don't. Yeah, this is our it. society and it sucks. I hate it so much, but I'm not going to stop. I can't stop. It's all I know. Oh, God. I love the Ferengi so much. You know, Can you believe that they managed to bring the Ferengi back from what they were at the start? Yeah, it's a, it's a miracle, honestly. It's like the craziest thing that's ever happened. We have to read the 34th rule. Yes, we will. We will. Not yet, though. No, probably when we're sick of being in the middle of the time two books, because there's like a thousand of there's them. There's nine TNG books we have to get through at some point in our lives. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, that stuff's great. There's really good stuff of Worf just being like transfixed by the religious experience happening, where he just becomes like a useless like expository figure and everyone has to just kind of ignore him it's very funny yes the wolf is because it's like Ezra. it's like Ezra and alexander as like two people who have kind of dealt with wharf from a distance and 
Esri's kind of Alexander's adopted mom, but also kind of his peer because they're not that different in age. And it's very strange just having to, like, exist in Worf's orbit. And they, like, they have this weird tension, but they are able to get over it, not immediately, but, like, openly and through their communication in the arc in this book. They, like, form a relationship that works very well. And Worf is just kind of baffled by the whole thing. Well, yes, there's a, there's a scene where they talk about on the bridge of the Ritar and that Worf and Ezri just argue for hours and everyone's just listening to them go back and forth. <laughs> yep. Which uh, does not surprise me at all. Worf responds to literally everything Ezri said, every, eh, everything that Ezri says with what Jadzia would, and except uh, usually in his head, usually he doesn't say it out loud, but every time it is like in his uh, internal monologue, he's yep. always thinking, well, Jadzia would do this because she would know this. And Ezri's like, oh my God, shut up, Worf. Meanwhile, Alexander is maybe the most well-adjusted person in all of Star Trek, apparently now. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. He's he, like, yeah, I grew up kind of human, and Klingons don't really... Klingons kind of think I'm ridiculous, but I am kind of ridiculous. I'm learning. It's fine. Don't worry about it. He's just like a fucking Keith Carberry character in Star Trek. Oh my god, he is. <laughs> yes. Who? <laughs> he's gonna buy a load of robots. Yeah, you know, but there's great stuff where him and Worf are talking about the Enterprises, and Alexander yes, talks one. about the Enterprise D being a big fish, and Worf's like a fish. He's like, well, a big fish, like a whale or something. He's like, like in Pinocchio, he goes inside the big whale, and Worf's like, I do not know what you talk about, son. You know, but then Alexander then talks about like everyone on the Enterprise D, like they're like, they're like, this is the family I grew up with. I, I care about them as much as like my adopted grandparents. Uh, and they have this whole thing of like, oh, we're going to go see our friends on the Enterprise again someday. And then Ezri does the very like white woman thing of like, oh, so you see, Klingons can just talk about their feelings and don't have to fight it out. And they both mock her. They're like, oh, we can fight if you want. If it'll make you happy for us to act like Klingons. <laughs> yep. I mean, Klingons are supposed to be. Uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, Ezri's putting her foot in it. Is Ezri a puts lot. her foot in it quite a bit in this book. <laughs> yes, uh, Ezri, like Ezri Tegan, has a low opinion of Klingons, and also she has all of the Dax's like weird like Klingon paternalism. Like I'm a Klingon myself because I went on those adventures with the old Klingons and they accepted me. That means I'm one of them. This these two things do not mix well. <laughs> no, they really don't. But thankfully, no one takes her very seriously because uh, she's Ezri and it's easy to do that <laughs> <laughs> yep uh while we're in this bit i also want to say there's a really really funny line where wolf thinks that esri has a crush on alexander and then realizes how yes. stupid he is and how he doesn't understand how, he, how like relationships work at all <laughs> he's like that can't be true she's dating the doctor i just forgot about it because he's a person who plays with toys <laughs> because he's still hung up on the alamo model <laughs> <laughs> wolf you ridiculous person you know uh, I don't I don't understand how that's any different than fighting Skullface Monster in the holodeck every day, but <laughs> sure, whatever, Worf. Worf does this to keep his senses honed, to be honorable. Yep. As a warrior. Yep, yeah, whatever <laughs> you say, Worf. Uh, every scene with Worf and every character in this book has just echoes of that one scene um, from Redemption, which is probably the best scene in Redemption uh, of uh, Worf and Guinan talking. And yes. Guinan being like, yeah, whatever you say, Worf. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. Also, some fun things. Apparently, prune juice is really big on Klingon ships now that Worf brought it over. <laughs> Great. Uh, and Far really likes ha uh, what's it called? Uh, the the Russian dish that Worf has. Mm -hmm. Borscht, maybe. It was borscht. Yeah. 
Some which I've never had. But he's like, this is the only thing in the replicator I like. And Martok's like, yeah, that's because it's not from Kling. That's that's an Earth dish that Worf brought over. Yep, that's Wolf on his thing again. You know, but everyone likes prune juice when they don't want to get drunk. Yep. Which, to be fair, prune juice is good. I'd drink some right now. Yeah. Nothing wrong with prune juice. Uh, but yeah, this is a good book. I, I wish there was more stuff with Martok. We don't really get much. There's a series of uh, IKS... What is it? IKS Gorkon. Gorkon books that, that have characters from the Klingon stuff, but well, it's not Gowron. Like Martok... So- <laughs> or not Gowron, Martok, sorry. <laughs> Incredible, this is amazing. Uh, <laughs> Um, Martok's son, I think there's a line about him going to serve on the Gorkon. Yes. Uh, so he'll be a character in those books. Yes. Um, Martok will probably come up, but like, I know Martok is in like articles of the Federation and stuff. Um, because of course he is, but yeah, he's not yeah. really a central character in much of this going forward. As far as we know, we didn't like look too far into it. Cause we're going to read all those books. Yeah. Uh, but that's a shame because this is, I, I really like this. I would take some more Klingon stuff. Yeah. Instead, we're going to have a thousand books about how cool Picard is. Uh, I mean, he is cool. Yeah, but not in the way that those books are going to tell us. Oh, no. Look, these DS9 books have been pretty good and much better than I expected. Uh, I, it- I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm just, I'm setting my expectations low for TNG, so hopefully I cannot be disappointed. Like, that's fair, but I'm, I'm hopeful that there's some good stuff. Like, I know that there's going to be at least some elements of, um, Everything has to be kind of more static than you would want. So, every, like Picard will always be the captain of the Enterprise, etc., 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 so that anyone can read a lot of these books. But I don't know. I'm I'm hopeful they do interesting things. Can't be well, worse yeah, than this, the Yeah, this is also in the lead up to Nemesis, so it's operating in a space like before the last movie. After that, I know it gets a little messier. Mm-hmm. Well, yes. Yeah, so the the nine books we're doing next are the Time Two books, which are all like books. Well, that... after after Unity. Yes. Well, I keep forgetting about it. look. Um, look, uh, the Atlantic books, which are like nine books that say take place before Nemesis to essentially unfuck Nemesis. Yeah. <laughs> because they're like, okay, we have to deal with how all of these things impact the universe. And there's a lot of bullshit in that movie that we have to explain or write around and give actual motivations to. Um, so I'm curious to see how that all ends up lining up. Uh, yeah. The Titan books. Yeah, then, yeah, then Titan's on our plate. Like, we can go in a lot of different directions after that. So. Yeah, no, we've, we have, yeah, we've got loads of different books we can read. That's exciting. Next year's a lot of table setting in the preparation for the big relaunch. Oh, for De- right, because Destiny happens later. Yeah. We get a lot of books to read. Uh, well, yeah, I just mean post-Nemesis Star Trek books are like a whole universe. And, yeah. Like, the DS9 books are like that, but the rest of the book line is not like that until after Nemesis stuff, I think. No, and it's a big time, because all the DS9 uh, stuff has happened in the nine months after DS9, whereas the actual Star Trek universe has moved forward to Nemesis time, which has kept pace with actual years. Yeah. Uh, so there's going to be a big time skip. Um, I don't know how that will affect the DS9 books that we're on i think a lot of those plots are tied up in those uh like planet books like andor and yeah there's, and stuff. they all go into those books uh there's a, there's a few ones like that that we've got because that's out that's kind of end of the relaunch ds9 stuff because after that it gets tied up in the big crossovers and everything yep. yeah if we've not hmm there's a lot hmm a lot of books star trek's good yeah star trek is good we don't have any questions so yep. do you have anything kinda... more about this book 
Because we uh, kind of... No, I just liked it a lot. Klingons are good. I wish there was more Klingon stuff that wasn't, like, outright embarrassing. Because, like, there's probably a lot of Klingon stuff back in, like, TOS days where they're just fighting Klingons all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah? But I don't want any of that. Mm-hmm. I uh, like this post-DS9 new Klingon Empire politics stuff. That's what I'm here for. We'll get a little bit of that, but yeah, not as much as we'd want. The Klingons are great. Yeah. I can't believe Worf's an ambassador. This feels like a really bad idea. Uh, so, am I reading the end of this book um, correctly? But I feel like it implied that Worf would not be an ambassador for very long. Well, I mean, eventually he's going back to the Enterprise, right? Like, he always says go back to the Enterprise. The The thing this book implies that I assume is going to be true is that Alexander will take over for Worf when Worf leaves to go back in Star Trek. It was specifically when Martok uh, was talking at the end. I got a sense that Martok's like, okay, Worf, I don't need you anymore. I can handle this. Um, I can talk to the Federation and everything. I've, I, you know... Uh, like, I... I I'll have to go back and read the book because I don't think anything actually changed in the like material circumstance of any of these characters. Like Worf didn't like leave his post or anything. No, no, no. But, but Worf, is, that... Worf is Worf is on the Enterprise and Nemesis, and then I know he becomes first officer when Riker leaves. So, mm-hmm. so we got a. I didn't know it was immediately after that. I mean, Riker leaves; they need a new first officer. So uh, we are at least four uh, four years in universe time until that. Uh, I bet there's not that many books about that shit that's true uh, i'm just i guess it could might be addressed in the time two books then because that'll be a few yeah. years later as they set yeah. up the scene for that that's interesting yeah cool who knows who, who can say what will happen other than none of these characters will die because they're all too important <laughs> yes uh martok could die yeah i, I don't think he will because he's not in any books so he'll just stay in the background <laughs> as the Klingon leader uh, yeah. but Martok is of the level of character that they would kill off for, dra- for drama sure but I, I think they're probably like we're not going to do any other Klingon war stuff so let's not kill Martok because I feel like the only reason you do that is that there's a new Klingon war and they're already writing discovery books about that so. oh right I guess because of how Star Trek works they've only gone a couple years into the future so if Martok died that would be like six years of stability for the Klingons <laughs> yeah <laughs> Okay, you got to keep Martok around for a good 30 years. Yeah. More time than this podcast will ever cover, probably, so. Oh, uh, that's, hmm. We'll see. We'll just give up video games at some point and double down on all the stuff we like. Hmm, I like video games. Hmm, that's fair. I guess I do. So, I Jackson, if you want to listen to us not talk about Star Trek, where else can they find us? Uh, they can find us at abnormalmapping.com, where we have various podcasts, including Abnormal Mapping, where we talk about those video games. We're very enthused about that. It's actually a great podcast that I enjoy doing. I just get depressed about video games, as is our want. Uh, but Abnormal Mapping's a great show. It's at abnormalmapping.com. Uh, no, it's also at thebestgame.club, because um, we have a personalized link. It's a good show. Uh, this month, we're going to be uh, covering Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. And talking about mm-hmm. some RPGs. That's exciting. Uh, where else can yeah. they find us on the internet? If you want to support us, perhaps? We are on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash normal mapping, uh, where you can support this show and all the other shows we do. Uh, we have a bonus podcast for you. For $1 a month, you get the Great Gundam Project, where we talk about Gundam weekly. Uh, it's a good time. Um, another vision of the future. Far less aliens. Far more politics. <laughs> um uh- Eh, about the same amount of politics but like way more in your face politics <laughs> yeah i think so um and then uh if you uh pledge for ten dollars a month you get voip life where tw- once every two weeks me and jackson have a good time just kind of going through top 10 lists talking about what's on our plate 
uh, things going on. Uh, you know, if you want to hear us talk about modern games or TV shows, stuff that our podcasts don't cover, you can hear it there. Yep. Uh, it's a very good time. We like it a lot. Um, and we appreciate all your support. You can find me on Twitter at em underscore being. Jackson, do you say your Twitter? No, you can't follow me on Twitter. You're not allowed anymore. No one's allowed to follow me on Twitter. Everyone follows <laughs> Jackson on Twitter at headfallsoff. Yes. And uh, next week, or next month, we will be talking about Unity and those episodes that I don't remember because it was yesterday when we recorded that <laughs> segment. Because <laughs> we had a power cut in the middle of the podcast. Uh, but you can check the description, of course. And until then, I will see you out there.